which we're going to be looking at. And it's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we'll read verses 11 to 21. Two Corinthians five, verse eleven. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us, so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who should live no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so, do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Well, let's pray before we just look at that passage. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we have it in this wonderful written form, Lord, whether it's in a, on paper or electronically. Lord, it you, is your word. But Lord, we ask this morning that you would give your Holy Spirit to open up your word, to give us eyes to see and a heart to receive, and the desire to do what you're going to teach us. So, Lord, be with us, Lord. Be our teacher this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'll just move all my books. That's okay. Okay, so I wonder if... Uh, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been asked to represent someone or, or something, maybe your school or your university if you're a student or maybe asked to uh, re represent your work where, where you work, you know. Uh, maybe if you're at school to represent the school in, in sport or at a, a science fair or if you're at work to represent the company at a, a conference. It's a great privilege, isn't it, to be asked to represent your company and you don't go in your own name, you go in the name of the school or the firm, and they trust, and they've chosen you, because they trust you will do a good job, you'll represent them well. And you have to look your best, you put on your best clothes, and you put on your best manners, and you put on your best smile, and you're polite to everyone, with the aim that you'll impress them, and that 
hopefully you'll gain their business. Has anybody ever done that here? I wonder. But whether or not you've had to represent your school or your company, if you're a Christian this morning, you are called to represent Christ. The name Christian means a follower of Christ, a Christ-like one. And Christian bears the Lord's name and they are called to represent him here on earth. And that's the subject what I want us to look, which I want us to look at this morning. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20 and verse 21 which says this, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making us an appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of Christ. And I want us to ask two questions this morning. What is an ambassador and how do we get to be an ambassador for Christ? Well, firstly, what is an ambassador? If you look at verse 20, notice it begins with this word, this little word, we, you and me, we. We're in this together if we are Christians. It's not just the person who stands in the pulpit who represents Christ. It's not just the person who, who does the Sunday school or the Bible study in the weeks, not just your elders or your deacons. It's you. We, all of you, whether you're making tea and cake in the back room, which is very important job, this includes you. This is about you. You see, Christianity is not the faith of me, it's a faith of we. It's corporate. We're a body. We're in this together, and as a body, we are all called to be ambassadors for Christ, to represent him. And it seems to me that the aim of this text is, it text is to awaken us to our calling as a church. You see, if you're a Christian today, then God has rescued you from the kingdom and the dominion of darkness and has transferred you to the kingdom of light and into the kingdom of his Son. Why has he done that? Not so you can just come here on Sunday morning and enjoy the wonderful worship and enjoy the message and then go home as if nothing had changed. We come to be transformed. We come here to know how to live and to be like Christ. You've been saved for a purpose, not only to glorify God and his grace, but to represent him here on earth in this world. So what is an ambassador? Well, firstly, an ambassador is someone who represents king and country in a foreign land. That's a worldly ambassador. If you Google uh, the meaning of uh, what, an, what an ambassador does, it says something like this. It's an official envoy or diplomat, diplomat of the highest rank as a permanent representative in a foreign country of his or her own government. You know, from Afghanistan to Angola, from Italy to Lithuania, the world sends out its ambassadors. Every government sends out its people to represent them in foreign lands. There are, at the moment, in the UK, over 170 ambassadors. And uh, interestingly, when the, the UK appoints a new ambassador before they send them out, each one of them has an audience with the Queen. And I'm sure there's a gospel message in that. Now, when Paul wrote 2 Corinthians, he was thinking of the political role of ambassador in Roman times. 
The Roman Empire was made up of provinces, and there were two kinds of provinces. There were senatorial provinces, which were older and more settled, and they were governed by proconsuls. Then there were the imperial provinces, who were often rebellious and troublesome. England was an imperial province. So Rome would send its ambassadors to these imperial provinces to make sure that rebellion didn't break out and to keep the peace. That's the point. So in the context of 2 Corinthians, this is what Paul's been doing. Paul founded the church at Corinth back in Acts 18, but then problems broke out. In 1 Corinthians 11, it says, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. They had problems. So Paul wrote 1 Corinthians to try and restore peace. Unfortunately, things only got worse, and Paul had to make what he called a painful visit to confront them, but to no avail. Then he wrote a second letter, which was delivered by Titus, who came back with a good report. It seems like the problem had been solved. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8 says, Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it because your sorrow led to repentance. They were now walking with God again. So that is why Paul is saying, we are Christ's ambassadors. We come in the name of Christ to you like a Roman ambassador to restore peace. So he's using the political role of the Roman ambassadors to illustrate the spiritual role of God's people. That's why in chapter 5 he says, God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That's the work of an ambassador. But when he says, we are Christ's ambassadors, does he mean just him and Titus? Or is there a wider application? You see, that title, Christ's ambassadors, includes us. It includes you in Lincoln, me and Liz over in Derbyshire, and Christians everywhere. Every Christian is an ambassador. You all represent Christ. Let's think then where an ambassador is stationed, where they live. Now, ambassadors are sent to foreign countries where the culture is often different and where people do things differently. You know, as Christians, we too live in a foreign environment, don't we? Where people do things differently. Things we don't like or agree with that clash against our sensitivities and our beliefs and stuff that runs counterculture to the Christian. And it's getting worse, friends, isn't it? You know, we had a couple round for, for a meal the other night, and they were telling us about the man, actually, who led them to the Lord. And he was a, a cancer specialist, and he was also a Christian. And when he uh, met the, the very sick and the very dying, he would often say, do you have a faith? And he'd share Christ with them. And a colleague overheard this. And it was reported back to the British Medical Council. And you know what? He was struck off. A leading cancer specialist struck off just for saying, do you have a faith? Friends, that is the price. As ambassadors, sometimes we will have to pay. The world rejects us. We live in a foreign environment, a hostile environment. And sadly, we don't have diplomatic immunity like the real ambassadors do. Like Lot in Genesis, we too are distressed by the conduct of those who we live with. Like Lot, he was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. Do you ever feel like that? 
If you do, that's because you're a citizen of heaven and you live in a foreign environment. But this is where God has put you. And just as the world has embassies where their ambassadors operate, so too does the Christian. Your church, this place, your homes, are they not embassies where the rules and standards of heaven apply? In the world, embassies often are considered as sovereign territory that belong to the, the land they represent. And it flies the flag of the country it represents. In the same way, isn't this sovereign territory of God? Don't we fly the flag here for his standards and his truth? You are the first point of contact for the kingdom of God, where God's standards, his laws, his way of doing life, his way of living apply. And Christian friends, we must not compromise on those standards. And so when people come into your home or into your church or even talk to you on the street or in McDonald's, aren't they coming up against a representative of heaven itself, an ambassador for Christ? You know, in the Old Testament, the priests, when they offered sacrifices, uh, we we were told it was to be, the sacrifice was to be a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. You know, and that example of sweet-smelling sacrifices in the Old Testament finds its fulfillment in the New. Because there, Christians are described as the sweet-smelling aroma of Christ. Ephesians 5, it says, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to Christ. And 2 Corinthians 2.15 says, We are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ. So our homes, our churches, our lives should have that sweetness about them. You know, when people come to your homes or the church, they should see and sense there's something different about you. When in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, the people saw the courage of Peter and John, it says, they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Is that true of you? You've been with Jesus. There's something different about you. You know, when I was a teenager, I went out to a concert in the local town and I met a girl and she decided to sprinkle her perfume all over me. When I got home, my mother said, you've been with a girl, haven't you? Uh, This girl's presence was unmistakable. I couldn't pretend. Her perfume hung around for days. My mother was not happy about this. Shouldn't be that, that be the effect that Christians have on where they live and where they work and where they shop. There's something sweet, a sweet-smelling aroma, something lovely about you. Different standards, different ways of speaking, you react to people differently. You don't scowl. You say, hi. You're non-judgmental. You're loving and you're kind. You go the second mile. You turn the other cheek. And they say, or they start to say, what have you got that I haven't got? You've got Christ. That's the difference. So as ambassadors, we are an outpost planted by God among alien people, living attractive, loving lives. 
as we got here into Lincoln early, we, we went to McDonald's and my wife got out a, a daily reading from Spurgeon. And he said this, the character of the king should be reflected in the character of the subjects. The character of the king should be reflected in the character of the subjects. But folks, remember, we are not of this world. In 1 John, Jesus prayed, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil world, from the evil one. Acts 1.8 says that we are to be witnesses to this world. And Matthew 5.16 says, Let your shine, light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Which brings us to the third point. What an ambassador of Christ actually does. Look at verse 11. He says, since we know what it is to fear God, we try to persuade men. Friends, if you know what it is to fear God, if you know about the judgment to come on those who don't come to him and trust him and repent, surely you will try to persuade them. But notice this, Paul says we try to persuade men. He doesn't say we have to persuade them. He says we try. You know, folks, my skills of persuasion are pretty rubbish, believe it or not. You know, I, I get very fearful when I talk to non-Christians and, and I get my words mixed up and I get my names mixed up. But the point of this is this, I try. By God's grace, I try. We must try also. The world needs ambassadors because it's lost. And one day it's going to face the judgment and the wrath of God. But it's not our message, is it? These are not our words. They come from the king. An ambassador never speaks for himself when he goes to a foreign country. He never utters his own thoughts. He never makes private personal remarks. He never makes personal promises or personal demands. He speaks only for the country and the king he represents. And to help us to do this, God has equipped us. He's given us the Holy Spirit, Spirit who the Bible says will teach us what to say. In Luke 12, verse 11, it says, Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Jesus said in John 16, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes... He will guide you into all truth and he will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. The Holy Spirit, friends, will teach you what to say. Have you not found that sometimes? You come into a situation, you think I should witness, you blurt out a few words and then, hey, suddenly you find yourself speaking for Christ. But what message does the ambassador bring? Simple. Be reconciled to God. We are enemies at God. We face his judgment. But God has made a way for us to find peace with God. For us to be forgiven. And the message is come to God. Come back to him where you belong. You might have turned your back on him. You, you might have done a, lived a terrible life. But the answer is, sorry, the message is be reconciled. Come back. Christ waits to welcome you with open arms. 
But then fourthly, an ambassador is someone who is loved by God. Verse 14 says that Christ's love compels us or constrains us, as it's written elsewhere. Now, Paul's not talking about his love for Christ. Let's get that straight. He's talking about Christ's love for him. 1 John 4, 10, this is, 10 says, This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And that truth that God loved Paul, a worst of sinners, a murderer, overwhelmed him and it moved him so that he wanted to go out and tell others. Paul isn't saying, I'm driven by my love for Christ, though certainly that was part of his motive. But he's saying, I am driven by Christ's love for me, who took my sin and died in my place. And his love is unbreakable. It is permanent and it is eternal. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Asks Paul. Not death, not angels, not principalities, things to come, not height, nor depth, or any other created thing is able to separate us from the love of Christ, of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. I'm so glad about that. He will not let us go. And because of such a wonderful love, Paul says, we try. We try to persuade men. Lastly, an ambassador is a new creation. Verse 17 says, the old has gone, the new has come. Don't know if you've ever tried witnessing before you were saved. Have you ever tried living the life before you were born again? Paul did. Do you know how he describes his life? He says, well, as a Hebrew of the Hebrews in regard to the law of Pharisee, but when Christ spoke to him, And when he came into his life, he looked back on his past achievements and efforts as a Pharisee, living without Christ, trying to earn his way to God. And he said, I consider them garbage, rubbish, for the sake of knowing Christ. That's why he says the old has gone, the new has come. He's a new person. He's a new creation in Christ. He's been set free We sang that in the lovely song we sang, didn't we? Set free. At the moment, I know 660 men, not a mile from here, who would love to be set free today. But do they want to be set free from sin? You see, sin is the worst prisoner of all. And Satan is the toughest prison guard you'll ever come across. It traps us and it will only lead us into death. It blinds us to God's grace. You know, when I I first went into the prison, I was shown round by the managing chaplain who had a set of keys and she went through every gate. She unlocked it and she, she locked it. But then after my training and to my surprise, I was learned that I was going to be given a set of priests to the prison. What, me? With a set of keys to Lincoln Prison? You know, one of the standing jokes in the prison is this. If you get lost, don't ask a prisoner the way out. They'll say, let me show you. (laughs) Friends, as Christ's ambassadors, you have the keys to the kingdom. You have the keys to eternal life. In Matthew 
16, verse 19, Jesus said to Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. And what is that key if it's not the gospel? Do you have a Bible with you this morning? Yeah? Who's got a Bible? Let's see them. Good. 50 keys. You've all got a key. Use it, please. Get to know it and use it and share it with other people. That is the key. The way to eternal life lies here. And John, and Jesus in John 8, 36 says, If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Amen. Which leaves us asking one last question. How do we become ambassadors? Which is where verse 21 comes in. Verse 21 says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. You see, the only way you can become a Christian, therefore an ambassador, is through Jesus. It's at the cross of Christ where the sinner, the rebel without a cause, finds a cause and he finds forgiveness and he becomes the righteousness of Christ. It's at the cross that we receive our commission to go out and be ambassadors. It's at the cross we learn just how much he loves us where the Son of God who loved me gave himself for me. And it's at the cross that we reconcile to God. Which begs the question, how? how? How can somebody like me be reconciled to a holy God? Yes, God is loving and merciful, but he is also holy and pure. And his justice and his righteousness condemn me. So we come to a crossroads. How, how can I be reconciled to God if I'm so, so sinful? Well, the problem... And the solution, as stated beautifully in Psalm 85, verse 10. It says there, mercy and truth have met each other, righteousness and peace have kissed. Imagine a crossroads. Four roads, they all meet together, and down each road walks a man. The first man is called mercy, the second truth, the third righteousness, and the fourth peace. And when they meet at the crossroads, they see, see someone lying there. He's bloody, he's filthy from head to toe, lying in his own excrement. He's a drug addict, an alcoholic, he's abused his body, and his life is ebbing away. And mercy cries out, oh, we must help him. Let's pick him up and wash his wounds and take him to our father's house. But truth replies, oh, no, you can't do that. Look at the state of him. He's filthy, he's unclean. Why, there's not a good thing about him. There's no way you can take him into our father's house. And then righteousness says, well, I agree. Our father is holy. This man has flouted the father's laws, spat in his face, blasphemed his name. There's no way we can let him in. But then peace says, stop arguing. God is a God of compassion and mercy. This man is sick, he needs his help. Just imagine if I went into prison on Thursday morning and said to the governor, I love these guys so much, let's l release them. Well, friends, you'd say, what about justice? Justice has to be done. They must pay the price. So there these four guys stand at the crossroads, arguing over whether or not this man should come into the father's house. How can that situation be reconciled? Well, the good news is, it has been reconciled. 
Mercy and truth, it says, have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. How is that possible? Because of the cross, where the perfect, sinless Son of God offered his life as an atonement, as a sacrifice for sin, where he substituted himself, where he took our place, where he took our sins, where he bore the curse of the law for us. Where he, as our verse says, who knew no sin, became sin for us. So we could go free. We have a friend in Norwich, whose wife died about a month ago. And uh, as he was preparing for the, for the funeral, he said to me that he didn't know how he was going to pay for the funeral. He's broke. So after a few days, I, I phoned him and I asked him how the plans were going for the funeral. And he told me he'd, he'd phoned the funeral directors and asked them for an estimate. And they said to him, we're not going to send you an estimate. We're not even going to send you a bill. Because someone else would pay. For the Christian, the bill has been paid. You are free to go. As the hymn says, what kind of love is this that gave itself for me? I am the guilty one, yet I go free. Friends, you are free to go. Free to represent him in this dark world as ambassadors of light, free to try and persuade men and to bring them this message of reconciliation. And one day, by God's grace, we will all stand before him, as the hymn says, dressed in beauty, not my own. And it says, when I see thee as thou art, love thee with unsinning heart, then, Lord, shall I fully know, not till then, how much I owe. Let's just pray. Lord, when we consider what we've been called to, Lord, we must consider how we were ever called here in the first place. Not through our own righteousness or good works. Not because there was anything worthy in us, but because of your grace and because of what you did on that cross. Lord, if there's someone here who's never asked you into their life and repented of their sins, Lord, the door stands open and you stand ready to receive them. And you have promised you will turn none away. So, Lord, as we continue in worship, bless us, stir our hearts to love and to do good works. Amen.